All right, this is going to be weird, all right? <laughs> this, is a, this is an interesting angle at this topic, so just, uh, just uh, ride along, okay? Ride along with me. And let's start um, in Matthew 17, 24. And as you know, we're just kind of traveling along Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, this is just so happened to be where we're at today. Um, it's neat that way. The Lord can kind of take us into different topics and, and thoughts. And, and uh, so this is where we're hitting today because this is what's said at this point in the scripture. So Matthew 17, 24. And uh, Kyle, are you ready? All right. <laughs> uh, here it goes. Uh, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, that's this little town, uh, collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, does your, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Uh, Peter, without thinking about it, hey, do you know anybody that talks without thinking? Yes. <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> All right. First thing that comes out your mouth, or excuse me, the first thought that comes in your mind comes out your mouth. Well, Peter was this kind of guy. Without asking or knowing, he said, yes, he does. Of course he does, yeah. Then Peter comes into the house where Jesus was, and interestingly enough, Jesus starts speaking to Peter before Peter can have ask a question or say anything. He says, what do you think, Simon? Because see, Peter went by, he was Simon Peter. And so Jesus addresses him by his name, Simon. He says, what do you think, Simon? See, isn't God amazing? Sometimes he answers your questions before you even have a chance to, to ask them. Not always, but it, it happens. And so uh, Jesus goes on, he says, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? Well, what do you think? Do you think these big time corporations that get behind a certain presidential candidate, do you think they don't get some tax breaks for their corporation? Yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> Who pays the taxes? You and me, <laughs> right? We the people pay the taxes, all right? There's exemptions, there's elitism for those out there that have special connections with the kings or the presidents, what have you. So Peter answers rightly, so he says the others pay them. In other words, the people pay them, all right? Jesus goes on and says, well, the children exempt. He says, but so that we may not cause offense, go take, this is crazy, go to the lake. Tell me if you wouldn't like to pay your taxes this way. Go to the lake, throw in your line, the first fish that you catch, open its mouth and you will find four drachma coin in there and go give it to them for my tax and yours. <laughs> so next time in April, you're doing your taxes and you see that you don't get a refund and you're supposed to be paying something, go fishing. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about that in just a second. But, you know, with the Bible, you've got to relate with it. You've got to say, oh, wow, that was amazing. You know, God helped that Peter and Jesus pay their taxes in a very unusual, unconventional way. Let's look at some of these things here. It says, um, from whom do the kings of the earth collect taxes? And what Jesus, I believe, was saying here is that Judaism, do you know what Judaism is? The, the religion of the Jews at that time was becoming a kingdom. It was just a religion. It wasn't relationship, all right? And, 
And he was saying, do you think the high priests and all these other Pharisees, do you think they pay the taxes or do you think you pay the taxes? We pay the taxes, all right? And this tax, uh, this concept of taxation is an elitist activity. But you know what? When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, there's no elitism, praise God. We have the privilege, you and me, me and you, have the privilege to give God a tithe. We have a privilege, not the obligation. We have the privilege to give God a tithe. And God, listen to me, he gives us the grace and the joy and the happiness and the enthusiasm to say, Jesus, here you go. I give you not just a tithe. I give you my time. I give you my effort. I give you my attention. I give you my emotion. I give you everything. That's a wonder. That's how the kingdom of heaven operates. We're not in the kingdom of man or in the kingdom of some religion where we're obligated to do it and some get to and some don't have to. No, this is, this is a wonderful privilege to give to God. Privilege. So, Interestingly, another thought that I have here is God provides for us in very unique and different ways in order for us to keep our eyes on him, all right? So here's some physical sources of income that all of us can identify with. Our employer, all right? Or maybe a retirement plan from your previous employer, but you're getting something, and what do you do every two weeks, every month, every week, whatever it is, that check comes in and you can bank on it. And that feels good. I know my employer is going to pay me this check. What does that mean? Well, your eyes get on your employer and you start thinking that's the real source of your supply. What about the government? Some of us uh, are, are receiving our provision from the government right now. So that check comes in every week, you know, a couple of weeks or a month. It comes in. You can bank on it. It's there. What do you do? You get your eyes on the government. You might receive a gift from somebody. Maybe you receive a gift from the same person twice. What happens when you start getting something from somebody more than one time? You get your eyes on that person. Think about it. That's what happens. Or if you have your own business and you're selling something, you get money from your customers. You get your eyes on your customers. But you know what? God sometimes likes to shake it up a little bit. <laughs> and all of a sudden... You don't get a check from your employer. The government shuts down of all things, right? The sales aren't there. And all of a sudden, what you had your eyes on isn't there anymore. It's not stable. It's not, you can't rely on it. What do you do? You start getting your eyes back on God, hopefully. Hopefully you say, I'm going to get my eyes on God. What are some unusual sources or means that God uses. Do you think Peter went back to the lake every time he needed a couple of bucks to pay a tax or to do something? No, he knew that was God that put that coin in that fish's mouth to pay his taxes. So Peter had to keep his eyes on Jesus. What are some other unusual things? Well, I've thought of this before. If I, you know, my job cuts out on me and my employer doesn't pay me, God could even rain food out of heaven. <laughs> 
You say, what? What are you talking about? Raining food out? Well, that's what happened with the Israelites for, what, 38 years, I think it was, or maybe, maybe it was the full 40. You know, every day they would get up, and there was manna that had rained out of heaven. They'd go scoop it up. You read it for yourself. In the Old Testament, they'd scoop it up, and they'd have just enough food for that day. You know what? Some, what do those Israelites do? They kept their eyes on God. Hey, if the food doesn't come down, he's going to have to supply from some other source. Uh, at one point, there was water that came out of a rock while they were in the desert. How about that? You keep your eyes on God because your source of physical income isn't working the way that it should or the way that you're used to. What else did God do for those Israelites? Their sandals didn't wear out for decades. <laughs> hey, I want a new pair of shoes. I don't need a new pair of shoes. These, these are still working for me. They don't wear out. What about these disciples that they spent all night long trying to catch fish, and Jesus says, hey, try it on the other side. <laughs> and they throw over the nets, and after an all night long, no success, they bring in so many, so many fish that it starts to sink the boat. They call for their buddies to come over. It starts sinking that boat. Peter falls down, and who does he look to? He looks to Jesus. He says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve that. He looks to Jesus. What about this one? This is a great one. Elijah. Elijah is worn clear out. How many of you have had your emotions frayed so much that one person can say one thing and you could burst out into tears? Or you could lash out at them with anger. You know, you're so frayed, stress and pressure so much, you just don't know what to do. Well, that's where Elijah was. The queen had threatened that she was going to kill him by this time tomorrow. <laughs> and so he ran into the desert. And what does he do? Well, he does what I do. When I get depressed, I just sleep. All right? Everybody has a different way of dealing with depression. Um, and my wife can kind of read it. Whenever it's coming on me, I sleep. Well, that usually helps me. All right? Well, Elijah does the same thing. He gets under a bush. He sleeps. And what happens as he's sleeping, an angel comes and I believe slaps him on the side. I don't like being waking that way. Slaps him on the side. He looks up and there's some coals with some food being cooked for him. And God provided for Elijah. In fact, gave him enough strength from that food. I believe there was two meals involved. Uh, to walk the desert to Mount Sinai, I believe it was, for 40 days without eating. That's, that's God. Look to Jesus, and he will provide. He will provide. And he uses these un bizarre, incredible ways of doing things that you just say, I know that was God. <laughs> that wasn't me. That came from God Almighty. And I bet if I were to ask you some of your stories, you would say, yeah, I have, I have a story or two where God did something just out of the blue, unbelievable, and it helped me refocus on the true source of my provision. There was this guy, a friend of mine, actually, that lost his job. He was out of a job for a whole year. And um, during that year, God took care. He had four kids, three or four kids. During that year, he took care of their needs the whole time, miracle after miracle after miracle. And during that time, he even was given a brand new car. Now, I'm telling you, he, it taught him to keep his eyes on the Lord as his supplier, Sometimes we need our source uh, that we bank on taken away from us so that we can start looking to God. 
I don't, that makes me feel uncomfortable. You, and you're probably feeling the same way. Huh? I, I just, I'll just take your word for it, right? <laughs> no, but sometimes we need to experience the miraculous supply that Jesus gives. We've got to get our eyes on him. Philippians 4.19 is a, is a scripture many of us have probably heard. It says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Who's going to supply it? My God. My God's going to supply it. All right? So here's what I'd like to, you say, well, how do you get tithes into this? <laughs> it's kind of a weird one. Here we go. Here's my, here's my kind of angle, all right? The tithe is not a tax, all right? The tithe is not a tax. Um, you know, when, when you have a tax, you need a collector, all right? right? If, if you're going to have, you've heard of tax, tax collectors, the IRS, basically, they call, go and collect taxes. And uh, we're in the, the most incredible society, I think, in that we have a voluntary tax that works a high percentage of the time. But in most countries... Uh, there's, there has to be an enforcement agency, a collection agency that goes out and makes sure that people are actually paying their taxes. But here's the key thing about taxes. You pay your taxes to avoid trouble. That's why I pay them. When I'm paying my taxes or I see my paycheck and it has a stupid federal income tax subtracting a big old chunk of that money that's mine, you think I'm thinking, oh, well, that's great. They're building a freeway out front, and they have a good school system. They're, they're doing this. That's not what's going through my mind. I'm thinking, that's my money. I want all of it, all right? And I bet you the majority of us are thinking the same thing. We pay taxes to avoid trouble. That's why we pay taxes. And so the tithe, though, it's not, it's not a payment, all right? I don't pay my tithes. I give my tithes. I just give them, you know, and I, and, and I hope you're doing the same thing. If you ever even give a buck or two to the Lord, or you, you're on a $30 a week situation or whatever you're doing, I hope you're not doing it to avoid trouble from God because that's not the reason to pay your tithes. That's not it. You do it because you love God and you realize that everything that you have is his anyways. And this is just Showing God, God, I realize that my body, my brain, my, my facilities, my capacity to do things, it all comes from you. And I'm just showing you, God, I'm, I'm showing you that this is yours, that everything's yours, and this is a sign that it's yours. Let's dig into this just a little bit, all right? What does the Bible say about these things? Here's, and let me make just one more point here, <laughs> all right? Um, here's the other difference between taxes and tithes is nobody is looking for offenders in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that cool? If you pay your tithes, isn't it wonderful that somebody's not going behind saying, who's paying, who's not paying? I don't do that, <laughs> all right? It's, there's, God's not looking for offenders. We're not looking for offenders you're not looking for offenders. That's a big difference between, between a tax and giving something willfully and lovingly to the Lord. God's not looking for offenders. All right, here's the neat thing, is God naturally places it into our renewed selves to give to God. 
your old self, the self that you don't like very much, the one that has addictive problems and, and anger issues and, and whatever the problems are that you have, that old self doesn't naturally give to God. But when you are born again and you say, Jesus, come into my life. I come in, change my heart, change my mind. You become a new person. That renewed self loves to give to God. Loves naturally. Doesn't have to be told to give to God. Doesn't have to be coerced. Doesn't have to be manipulated. You just give to God because you love it. That renewed self. The old self, no way. No, greedy, ugly, mean, vicious, uh, you know, bad, but when you are renewed, that new self will give to the Lord. Here's some examples. Back in the Old Testament, okay, so there was Adam and Eve. Then Adam and Eve had two sons, uh, Cain and Abel. And listen to this. God never told these two guys to give anything to him. There's no recorded anything in the Old Testament uh, in, in the book of Genesis that said, hey guys, you have to give. It's a command. Give me. No, these two guys willingly uh, Cain brought some fruits from the soil because apparently he was kind of a farmer. And Abel, uh, who sounds like he was more of a rancher type, he brought some, uh, some firstborn from his flock. All right, we won't get into the whole story there. But here's an example of two guys who willingly, naturally decided and thought it appropriate to give part of their assets, what they had, to the Lord. Then we see not too many hundreds of years later in Genesis 14, 17, Abram, uh, uh, the father of, of the Israelites, of the Jews, returned from defeating a man's name who I can't pronounce. And the, these kings were allied with him. And this, this uh, king of Salem named Melchizedek brought out some bread and wine. He was the high priest of the Lord Most High. Hebrew speaks of this guy. It's very interesting. And he blessed Abraham. He said, blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham willingly said, here's a tenth of everything. I find it interesting that the blessing came first and the tithe came second. That's how grace works. I'll tell you, you you're told in church all the time, you tithe and God will bless you. You know what? God is going to bless you first. That's how grace works. God takes the first step. He blesses you when you weren't even looking for him. And it triggers something inside. God, I want to give you something back. I tell you what, I think churches and religion and everything, they have it backwards. God blesses first. And we respond to God's blessing. And then it's just a virtuous cycle. You've heard of vicious cycles? This is a virtuous cycle, man. It just gets better and better and better. And God keeps blessing. You say, God, here, more blessing here, you know. And I'm not always talking, I'm not talking about you know, major, you're not, everybody's going to be rich. No, 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 not everybody's going to be rich. All right. <laughs> but God does bless. He blesses on the inside and he blesses on the outside. God is a God of, of wonderful wealth and blessing. But the most wonderful blessing is what happens in your soul, the prosperity of your soul. That's, that's what we're looking for. So here's another example. And then, um, then we come 
to the Mosaic law. Now you say, well, what's the Mosaic law? That's the, the law that God gave to Moses. And maybe in more granular terms, the Ten Commandments. It's that point in time. The Ten Commandments along with all the instruction that came with the Ten Commandments. So in that law that Moses received from the Lord, Leviticus 27.30, we see it articulated in the Bible. It's expressed in the Bible specifically. It says, a tithe of everything. Remember that? Everything, by the way. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Verse 32, it says, every tithe of the herds or flocks, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod is what? It's holy to the Lord. That just simply means it's separated. It's for God. It's not for me. It's not for my family. It's not for any. It's for God. All right? So, and if anybody's starting to get sweaty palms and saying, I'm not going to make this work. I can't do this. Just, just chill. You know, just don't worry about it. Just listen. We're going to get to how you can get to this place uh, with God's help, right? So Deuteronomy 26, 12, it says, when you finish setting aside a tenth, because that's kind of what tithing requires, required. you have to kind of set it aside, right? Because otherwise it'll get consumed. You set it aside with all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite. Listen to this. This is interesting. Give it to the Levite, to the foreigner, to the fatherless, to the widow. And in Numbers 18.21, it mentions specifically that the tithe was for the Levites. The Levites were the priests, by the way. They were the pastors. They were the, they were the religious leaders of that time. And so in compensation for their work, they were to receive the tithe, and it was to help keep things going, not to mention to help, help the needs of those that were in poverty. All right, so how does this work? How does this look? How does this feel? We've got some commands now here. We've got some people who complied willingly and lovingly, but what does this look in a kind of a story format? Okay, and so in Second Chronicles 31, I'll read it to you. When all this had ended, this is in the time of King Hezekiah, one of the kings of Israel, the Israelites who, uh, who went out from the towns of Judah began to do something rather odd, they smashed the sacred stones and they cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. After they destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and their own property. Now, what was going on here was what we would consider probably a modern day revival, all right? It's where people get sick of their own idols. I'm sick of my addictions. I'm sick of falling into pornography. I'm sick of having a miserable life. I'm sick of putting my career and my education at the forefront and always thinking and talking about it. I'm sick of always thinking about me, 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 me. And so what they did is they went out uh, to where they had sacrificed to idols. There was an Asherah pole, which was a, a signal of an idol where they would worship. They would have male shrine prostitutes, and they would offer their kids burned sacrifice to these gods. Terrible, terrible things. Anybody that says religion in general is good is, is fool, is, is crazy. Religion is terrible. It causes you to do terrible things. Relationship with God, on the other hand, is a wonderful thing. And so... Uh, 
the, the Israelites were fed up with the sin in their country. They were fed up with the idolatry, with the, the distractions. And so they went and smashed all this stuff. Look what happens next. So in verse 2, Hezekiah assigns the priests and the Levites, two divisions, each of them according to their duties as the priest or the Levite, to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, to minister, to give thanks and to praise at the gates of the Lord's dwelling. So the next phase is all of a sudden, when you turn your attention off your idols and on to God, you start worshiping God. You start praising God. You start focusing on God. He captures your imagination, your attention, and, and you spend time praising Him. You read your Bible. You come to church. You start receiving from God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. I'll tell you what, for those of us that have tasted of God, I just want more. I want more of God. I, I like it. I want it. I want more of God. And so that's what these Israelites were doing. They smashed their past, went forward with God, and look in verse 3 what happens. The king, this is not an elitist tax, okay? The king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening, evening offerings and for burnt offerings on the Sabbath and the new moons. And it, these are appointed festivals that, that the Israelites uh, celebrated. So verse 4 he ordered the people living in Israel to give the portion due to the priests and Levites so that they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, listen to this, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain. Look at this word, first fruits. Do we give God the last tenth or do we give God the first tenth? Sometimes I give God the last tenth, I'll be honest with you, all right? But I want to give God the best, the freshest, the newest, the, the, the most wonderful. So the first fruits, and uh, Pope says, uh, Jimmy has quoted her several times saying, don't come in to God's house empty-handed, all right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a neat thought. Come with something to give God. Do I do that? I don't. I don't. I pay my tithes online. <laughs> All right? And, and, and I use the wrong word. I don't pay my tithes online. I give my tithes online. All right? Maybe, maybe a shame that I don't bring the joy with me, you know, to give it in God's house. But I do do that. But listen to that. They gave their first fruits New wine, olive oil, honey, because they didn't have a currency at that time. It was stuff that they brought. All the fields that they produced, they brought a great amount. Listen to this, a tithe of everything. Now, what does tithe mean? It literally means a tenth. How much does that leave? If you have 100% and you subtract a tenth, how much does that leave? 90%. That's where the stress comes in if you're not doing this. If you're not used to doing this, if you, if you have a very uh, a small amount of income or your income is already allotted to bills and, and stuff that you, you know, getting a 10% cut out of your 100% is a tough pill to swallow. It's hard to do. So don't worry. Just listen, all right? Just, just receive this, this instruction, and then we'll talk about practical side here in just a second. So a tenth, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and the Judah who, who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God. They pile them, listen to this, they pile them in a heap 
and they began doing this in the third month and finished on the seventh month. And, and the, the, it was just a huge blessing. So that's what it looks like. The joy of saying, God, I'm going to give you a part back of what you've given me because it's yours anyway. So I want to remind you the tithe is not a tax. A tax comes with a certain attitude. A tithe comes with an entirely different attitude. We're reimbursing what God is already, is already owned by God. It's already his. <laughs> We're just giving it back to him. All right. Now, let me share with you a couple more scriptures here. Micah 3.7, very well-known, familiar, uh, misrepresented scripture in my opinion because it's, it's preached in kind of a condemning, uh, guilt-ridden uh, fashion, and I don't want to do that this morning because that's not how our God operates. So Micah 3.7 says, um, God's speaking to the Israelites uh, long after the time of the kings, after they'd been exiled in Babylon and, and had come back. And it says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will it, And then God answers, will a mere mortal rob God? But you ask, how are we robbing you? God answers, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. It doesn't say you are under my curse. If you don't tithe, God isn't going to curse you. It's a matter of, you know, you can live under God's blessing. You get out from under God's blessing, and all that's left is the enemy's curse on you. I mean, bad stuff happens. That's why we pray. We pray so that we remain under God's protection, his love, his care. All right? So somebody might ask, well, am I going to hell if I don't tithe? No, you're not going to hell. Good grief. This is something, this is a growth process as you get closer and closer to God. This is something that God can deal with you and bring you along, all right? So he says, the whole nation of you is under a curse because you're robbing me. Bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I love, remember this. God says, test me in this. Try it out. Experiment with this. See if it works, all right? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open. God didn't have to do this. But he does it because we know he knows we're creatures of positive reinforcement. <laughs> right? He says, try me. Tithe. And see if I don't throw up the, open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to contain or store it all. Wow. That's amazing. Now, do I tithe so I can get more? No. Good grief. It's just the positive reinforcement aspect of God blesses me first, I tithe second. <laughs> All right? So listen to this in verse 11. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land. What I like in this right now is a pocket with holes in it. Do you ever feel like I make enough money, but it just seems to slip through my hands and I never, I can't control it, you know? It's, there's never enough. What he's saying here is when we tithe, it won't start, it won't be slipping through our hands anymore. God will make every penny count and he'll do miracles and he'll do unbelievable things. And so I can't remember if it was my dad or someone else. I, I, I think it was my dad that told this story, but maybe I'm not, maybe I'm wrong, but I heard it. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter. It just drives home a point. So here goes. 
there's a church that was being planted. You know what that means? Started in a little neighborhood. And right across the street from it was a kind of a grocery store with a nice big parking lot. Well, the place where these people were meeting didn't have any parking. So the pastor, the new pastor, crosses the street, walks into the store, finds the the store owner, actually, and says, hey, do you think, because you're closed on the weekends, that we could use your parking lot to park our cars during, during our services? And the owner said, absolutely. We'd be happy to do it, but I only want you to do it 50 weeks a year, all right? The pastor thinks, well, 52 weeks? What are we going to do the other two weeks? And uh, so he asked the owner, he says, well, why, if you're willing to do the 50 weeks, why wouldn't you just be willing to go ahead and do the 52 weeks so we can ha- always know that we're having parking? He says, I just want you to remember that that's not your parking. <laughs> I want you to remember for those two weeks when it's inconvenient for you, it'll drive home the point that that's my, my store, that's my parking, all right? And I think that's what the tithe is, is to remind us Everything that we have is the Lord's. Everything that we have is the Lord's. But I want to give you a different, just a quick thought that, that almost contradicts what I've just said. You know what? Everything belongs to the Lord, but if you're in Christ, everything that he has is yours. Everything that he has is yours. So these, these preachers that say, you're not an owner, you're a steward. You don't own anything. You can't take anything to heaven. You didn't bring anything to the world. You can't take it out. I don't totally agree with that because in Christ, we are owners with him of, of what God has given us. So there's, a, there's certainly a stewardship application, meaning we're managers, we're not owners. But at the same time, in Christ, we have everything at our disposal, everything that we need for life and for godliness. Praise God. All right? So going a little bit long here. We're almost done. Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine. This is God speaking. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. And the tithe just simply reminds us that everything belongs to God. Now, here's a question, all right? It's all the Old Testament. I've been quoting everything from the Old Testament. Does God change his mind about stuff? Does he change the rules? Uh, Does he change his desires? Was what was good for people before Christ not good for people after, the cri- after Christ? You know, there's a lot of folks out there that says, well, we're not under the law. And they interpret that to mean that we don't have to do anything that the law tells us to do. Well, that's foolishness. God's law is God's law. All right? What Jesus did is he came and he bore all the punishment for failure of the law on him so that we wouldn't have to receive that punishment. But God still desires the same thing. He doesn't change. God doesn't change. Come on. All right? People uh, uh, misinterpret very much, I believe, what Jesus' purpose. He said, I came to fulfill the law. The the law still stands. Here's the neat thing, though, is the law is God's love to us. The law is God's protection to us. The law is God's joy to us. David said, I love your law. (laughs) I love your truth. I love your revelation. I love it. Why? Because it's, it's good. It's wonderful. It protects me. It blesses me. It causes me to grow. So here's Matthew 23, 23, the first verse that we're quoting here in the New Testament. And Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of that time. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law, the Pharisees, you hypocrites, 
you pay a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, uh, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And the next sentence he says, you should have practiced both of them. You should have practiced the tithe and you should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So Jesus in no way negates the importance of showing God this is still yours. It's still yours. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it's not speaking of the tithe, but rather the offering. But it gives us an idea of how we should come with our tithes in joy, not as a tax, but with joy, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Not like, oh God, this is so hard. <laughs> that's not how God, that's not how we're to do it. We're to say, God, here, boom, I'll give it to you. I'll give it all to you. You want more? Take more. There's this man, and you can, you can get into all kinds of legalism with this too, but there's this man that tried the 10%. It worked. His, he was a farmer. He, his business grew. So he said, you know what? I'm going to up it to 20%. He upped it to 20%. That worked. He was working on 80%, but his 80% in terms of dollars was getting pretty hefty. So he went to 30%. The guy got up to where he was giving 90%. Instead of living on 90%, he was living on 10%. Who knows? We don't need, we don't need to shoot for those types of things. We just need to listen to God and do what God tells us to do. You listen to God. Take what I'm giving you, read it, and then you go. You pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And know that God loves you. I tell my kids this, and I believe God tells us this. I tell my kids, you know what? I have four of them, ages 20, 18, 16, and 13. I've told them here and there, you know what? If you go out to my sons, you get a girl pregnant. If you get on drugs, you end up in jail. I will always love you. I will always love you. You will always be my son. You will always be my daughter. Nothing you do will ever cause me to stop loving you. And you know what? God tells us that too. Nothing you ever do or don't do. I embrace you. I love you. Now, you know, disobedience brings separation. There's no doubt about it. We experience that. If we're parents, you, you've experienced that. But you know what? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And that statement, that belief draws us closer to God. It draws us closer to God. So let's just uh, look at this just real quick and finishing up here. Here's, here's what the tithe won't do for you. It won't give you brownie points with God. <laughs> All right? Secondly, it won't make you a better person in his sight. Why? Because everything Jesus did is all you'll ever need to satisfy God's requirements. He already paid it all. All right? He's, his love, his affection, his acceptance has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. He loves you through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we've got to accept Jesus is our Savior because that's the only means of receiving the love and acceptance that God has for us. So God's direction to us is tithe because it's good for you. <laughs> it's good for you. It's, it, it allows you in some respects to get closer to him. 
It gives you freedom and deliverance from the love of money. It serves as a portal to grow to know him more. And it's a means by which he can supply even more back to you. There's, there's so many reasons why the tithe is, is so good and so important. So what is the tithe? Well, it's a tenth of my income. So it's the tenth. Listen to this. If you know the difference between gross and net, all right, I take my salary before all the taxes and garbage is taken out, and that's what I tithe on. It's the top line, all right? So if you make $20,000 a year, you don't go and subtract all these other things and say, oh, that's 10%. No, it's 10% of your gross income, as we say. So what should I do if I don't tithe or tithe very little and I want to start? Well, here's what I recommend. And I might have tomatoes thrown at me, eggs thrown at me, but this is, this is just what I suggest. Mike, it says, test me. So test God and do half a percent, all right? Say, I'm going to start with half a percent, and I, I don't have 10% to give. God knows that. You don't have it, you can't give it, all right? So start with a percentage, but do not, under any circumstance, start with a dollar amount, all right? It's about percentages with God. And you say, Steve, well, how, how do you come up with that? Well, first of all, the tithes, 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 tithes is a percentage. But secondly, Jesus was sitting there with his disciples, and this lady comes up with all she had, 100% of what she had, the widow's might, as we refer to it, and she dropped that in, and she gave all she had. Jesus and God are about percentages. They're not about dollars. So if you're one that says, you know, bring 10 bucks every Sunday, and you drop it in the offering plate, go home and figure out what percentage that is, and work on percentages. Don't work off of dollars. But test God and see. Try him out. See if he doesn't bless you. See if he doesn't help you. See if, he, see if your, your relationship with him isn't bettered in some form or fashion. All right? And what's the basic reason for tithing? Well, I submit to you it's not obedience. <laughs> as soon as we make tithing about obedience, it becomes religion almost automatically. Why do we obey God? The Bible tells us why we obey God, because we love God. And let me take it a, a step further. Why do I love God? I like God. I like God. That's why I tithe. And so I like God, therefore I love him. I love God, therefore I obey him. But the fundamental reason for tithing is not obedience. It's a matter of relationship. It's a matter of closeness with God. So anybody here who tithes simply out of obedience, please don't do so. Do it because you love God. All right? Three last thoughts, just bullet points. I love God, I tithe. I trust God, I tithe. And I want to feel free, so I tithe. <laughs> I do it because I like the feeling of freedom. Money ain't got no hold on me because I tithe, right? <laughs> That's a wonderful sense of freedom. Let's pray.